Hey everybody, this is your host Matt Castellini and welcome to Chicago Capital. We have a great episode lined up today, but before that, a word from our sponsors, World Business Chicago. In 2021 alone, local founders have raised more than $5 billion in VC dollars, making Chicago a national destination for founders, investors, and innovators. As the city of Chicago's economic development organization, World Business Chicago drives growth and opportunity for our local tech economy and innovation ecosystem through its flagship programs such as the Chicago Venture Summit, Startup Chicago, Think Chicago, and Venture Engine. Learn more via worldbusinesschicago.com. Tom. Thomas? Full name Tom. Thomas? Tom. We're going with Tom. Tom Shea. We're going with Tom, Tom Shea. All right. That's, that's good. That's real smooth. Tom Shea. All right. That's, that's a great founder name. You gotta, yeah. You're working with a full deck already. It's usually uh, the, the double single syllable. People just call me Tom Shea. Never Tom Shea. Shea. There we go. Love that. Um, Tom, thanks so much for joining Chicago Capital. Uh, I think everyone's really excited to learn more about Agile Media Group, and we'd love it if you could kind of just give us the rundown. Yeah, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, um, but yeah, happy happy to get into it. So Agile Media Group, uh, we're the first tech-enabled truck-side advertising company. Um, people have been putting advertisements on trucks as long as trucks have been on the road. You know, you got Joe's Fish Company delivering fish all around New York City for Chicago to um, wholesalers or retailers. Um, and we're trying to push that more towards something more more promotional in nature. So KFC, you know, they're making a new chicken sandwich. They want to get the word out to folks. Um, you know, we sort of slot ourselves in there such that they can take over any sort of market or DMA real quickly and efficiently and get the news out. Um, so sort of moving it away from a, a B2B towards more uh, a B2C type advertising style. But that alone, I, I don't think there's really a company there, and that's not something you can raise money on. Um, what's really interesting about the company is the technology play underpinning all of it. So um, using our data platform, we're able to measure how many people see these trucks at advertisements, who those people are from a demographic and psychographic perspective, like age, race, income, ethnicity, as well as does this person over-index to being an organic shopper or likely to be a pet owner, stuff like that. And then I'd say most critically, we can measure web visitation and in-store visitation and or list. And I think the reason that's so important in the narrative of our business is if you look at how media dollars shifted hands, you know, starting two decades ago, it was in radio, it was in TV, it was in print, and now it's consolidated in a few channels like Google AdWords, Facebook ads, and Amazon ads. And, you know, that transition made sense. Those channels were superior in that you could measure cost of customer acquisition, see how many people are clicking, you could back into return on AdSense, and had everything you needed to, to defend your job as a marketer. But what also happened simultaneously is a lot of the yields in those uh, channels got competed away. So we always talk about Casper Mattress, I think it's a great example. Um, They're probably printing money for those first two years, and then Purple entered, Helix entered, and it became a game of, okay, who can raise the most venture money and just you know outlast everyone else? or who can get a bit more creative with their marketing strategies. And so by being able to bring those digital world attributes to the physical world in terms of attribution, um, we've been able to develop a pretty 
compelling product that reduces the cost of customer acquisition um, for our brand partners. That's awesome. I, I so I, I'd love to learn more about the origin of this idea. I mean, did you just were you in Chicago and just look around at all these trucks and you're like, yeah, that's yeah. it. I I, I got to slap some some you know, new age media ads on the side of those things. Yeah, so I'm about to take you through a pretty ridiculous, long winding story. But um, I met up with my co-founder. I had just moved from Los Angeles to Chicago. So I started at University of Chicago part time for business school at night. And my co-founder had seen a truck downtown with a digital screen on the back. And it was displaying Applebee's. And if you look up the closest Applebee's, if you're in downtown Chicago, it's about 45 minutes away. So he had the idea, like, there's got to be a better, smarter way to, to be delivering advertisements. So the first iteration of this business goes back to, like, 2018, 2019. Um, I was just entering sort of a new career phase as a software engineer. We linked up to build this idea. Um, it was called adjacent advertising at the time. We're putting digital screens on the back of 53-foot trucks. And we had slapped the Raspberry Pi onto it. And we made, you know, coded some business logic to say, hey, for the five miles leading up to exit five, it's going to display whatever's off exit five, like McDonald's around lunchtime. And if it's near the United Center, you know, it's going to show the bull score in real time. And all this very interesting, cool business logic. And so we took that to uh, the New Venture Challenge, University of Chicago's like startup competition incubator. And we got absolutely dragged through the mud um, in the final round. And, you know, it was a good learning experience. There were two things that folks sort of, you know, picked out as issues with the business. The first was the capex of the screens was ridiculous. It was like 10K because it had to be damage proof, weatherproof. Um, you know, it, it was just an expensive business to test. And then the more fundamental issue, which sort of gets into why we moved away from that model, was that whole dream scenario of, hey, this truck's going to Chicago to Georgia um, every day, and we're going to get every McDonald's off that exit on day one. That was just, you know, a fallacy because we learned media dollars get allocated at the national, regional, and local level. So if we wanted to actually pull that off, we would have had to sell into every single franchise along that route, which would have been a pretty, pretty hard uh, business to pull off. So we sort of flipped that said, okay, let's focus on the trucks that are last mile only, 26 foot and below that are sort of landlocked in these dense, very urban areas. And um, through that, we can start, you know, competing for regional budgets, local budgets, stuff like that, until we have that national scale. And with that, we, um, we decided to go with static advertisements with the intent to actually get back to digital once we've sort of figured out which assets are the most valuable, because there's definitely really interesting play, you know, going back to our original business idea to take in time, location, and audience data in real time to intelligently serve ads. That's sort of where we landed, um, and that's what we brought to market at the beginning of this year. And I maybe this potentially is like a future state question, but um, you know I, I'm so curious about understanding the demographics and psychographics of the people who are seeing the ads. How is yeah. that going to work in the future state? I've seen a few other kind of companies trying to do that for um, you know something on Mag Mile. There's those digital ads that's you know they right. change, and and I think they kind of have the same sort of value prop of being able to measure those types of attributes of the people who are actually seeing the ads to give more useful data to the companies. But like, how is that going to work for you guys in the future? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And I could sort of speak to how it's probably going to exist, how it's going to work for most of out-of-home advertising in the future. So pretty much how the technology is working right now is there's, at least in our assets, there's some sort of hardware that's pinging location data in real time. And we're drawing a geofence around the truck every second. And then we're going to add aggregators, these companies that just buy up an anonymized mobile data points that say, hey, it's not Tom Shea, but it's XYZ123 phone was near your truck. So you likely saw it. And then there's a profile associated with XYZ123 that he's white, male, 24 to 34. Um, and with that sort of information, obviously it's not being used as intelligently as it could be, but you could see a reality where on the fly, the advertising is being changed to take into account that data. I think a, one really important part of that whole narrative is they can't tie it to Tom Shea. They can only tie it to XYZ123. Otherwise, it's not GDPR compliant. And that consumer privacy thing, I think, is something that's going to continue to ebb and flow and change what the future looks like. But more or less, that's how what we call digital out of home and programmatic out of home, which is like the real time bidding based on the data of people around those assets is going to play out in the future. So like in my mind, I originally thought that there was some computer vision element to this where it would be seeing the faces of everybody, but I don't know if that does, that's probably not GDPR compliant. If it's getting your face, then it means it gets your name. And so is that like the challenge there? Like any, does anyone have thoughts as to whether computer vision could be utilized in this in the future? Yeah, I have seen a few companies working on it um, to get less about um, targeting, but more about reaction data. So like A-B test creative on any sort of like physical medium where it has some sort of computer vision that's like, okay, this person's like smiling. And they, there's a bunch of AI to, to understand like, okay, this is something we should be using instead of our other form of creative. And there's also, when you think about like, you know, that whole example I gave, of how we get our data and stuff like that. Um, there's other ways of approaching it. There's like computer vision where they just log how many people walk by, which is you know a different way to back into a similar outcome. Got it. No, I think that makes total sense. Um, I think another point that you hit on that I think is really salient right now is this idea that you know, direct to consumer brands or digitally native brands, like your right. Caspers, your Aways, the ability now for people to, you know, stand up a competitor has never been easier. It's never been easier to sort of just buy your ads and, and get placement right under Casper um, and just undercut their prices. So I, it sounds to me like this is, and another argument that I hear made is that developing a brand is kind of the only moat that those companies have. They just have to develop totally. a brand. It's all they can really do, all they can really hope for. And, you know, margins are always just going to be, you know, really challenging. But it sounds like this is maybe not the end all solution, but it's going to be addressing a pain point that these brands are currently looking to solve every day right now. And it seems extremely timely. Is that? Is that, is that come out, am I sort of on the right track? Yeah. And I think if, you know, you look at some of our early customers and where we've really found our niche, it's, it's in those verticals. It's in the D2C space where they're just so, it's so competitive and they're suffering from that keyword fatigue and they need a different mousetrap. And it's interesting, like you touched on a very relevant point. You'd be surprised how many companies are marketing organizations that just so happen to have a product in like today's society. 
because the, the name of the game and to actually be able to build a brand, it's like you need to build community, you need to build brand, and you need to have a marketing organization um, that is able to reach, you know, that community successfully. So I, I cannot agree more. Um, a lot of almost all of our initial clients have been D2C. And it's, I think you might appreciate this. So we have a really great, like we have a hundred percent client renewal rate so far. So we sell in like batches of three months and people have kept extending those campaigns. Part of that I'm sure is how we're priced like relative to, you know, awards that have, have been around forever. Um, we, we asked them like, you know, why do you guys keep coming back? Like, what does this do for you? What are the main value propositions we're driving? And a really, really interesting one that we got back is when people view a truck side ad for a digitally native brand, a lot of them think we're delivering that product. And that's not the case. Like we're linking up with people who are delivering soap and like fish around the cities and stuff. And that's a, that actually, there's like a really interesting social psychology or, or like behavioral psychology play to that. Um, where, you know, you have a larger than life presence, you, they see part of your supply chain, which like gives them trust and credibility that like, you know, shipping is going to arrive on time. And it's a, it's been a cool learning experience watching, you know, it's not, we didn't go into it thinking that would be an interesting angle that we could lean in on, but it, it's one that's really caught up. I think it's like when everyone sees the Peloton trucks in front of a house and, right. and you know, they're matte black and the logo looks yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, okay, like, I, I don't know. It just, it, it actualizes something that you usually only see in a digital way. And you think to yourself, man, like that guy's getting a Peloton or that girl's getting a Peloton. Like maybe I should get one. Like that, yeah. that truck looks sweet. Like maybe that should have one of those in front of my apartment. My dream client, if you're listening, is 1-800-Flowers. Because if every truck is branded with 1-800-Flowers in every city, people start looking around like, oh, my God, like, when's the last time I got my significant other flowers? Like, what holiday did I miss? Like, what the heck, what's going on here? And it sort of, like, can speak that business into existence. And I also feel that way about all the, like, food delivery kits. Like, are my neighbors all using HelloFresh? Like, yep. should I be yep. using HelloFresh? So it's, it's a pretty fun one. And it's, it's unique, unique to our medium, I guess. Yeah. So no. That's, that's cool. 100%. Although on the flip side, you might cause a lot of spousal arguments in the car because on the flip side, it's somebody true. would be like, what the hell? You haven't got me flowers in forever. Like, speaking of which, hey. Um, no, you know what? Well, we're doing what it takes for the brand. We're <laughs> ultimately paying that, paying that bill. So uh, I, um, think, I think we'll, we'll arrive at a, a happy place if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. In the aggregate. In the aggregate. Right. In the aggregate. Um. I, speaking of paying the bill, I, I'd love to hear about your guys' revenue model. Um, you know, you know how you're making money. Yeah, great question. Um, so we sort of price things out on CPM, which stands for cost per thousand impressions. Um, it's like how many people saw the advertisement. Though in practice, realistically, we're not like nickel and diming. So like, hey, you got a hundred thousand and six views today, so we're going to charge you exactly that. It's really been more of like a time horizon thing. And what's really interesting about out of home is the traditional model is it's always been bought in four week cycles. And there is, because it's a physical world product, there's a production insulation component to the media buy that goes right to the client. And we've been trying to sort of change the norm in that we like to do three month campaigns at a minimum because it gives us a longer time to amortize the cost of a truck wrap um, over across, you know, multiple months. 
but generally speaking, I think we've done campaigns as small as two trucks, um, as large as 15 trucks. We're growing a bunch, but um, yeah, I, it, it's on a per truck basis and it's usually sold in a batch of three months and then it goes month to month thereafter. Um, and we do a lot of sort of data analytics and lift studies on the back end to, to sort of support that, that sales effort. And so I guess from the sales effort, just trying to wrap my head around, I guess the sales effort in totality. Sure. So are you, do you have people dedicated to, you know, reaching out to these trucking companies, these last mile delivered trucking companies and getting them on board? And then on the flip side, uh, you know, it's almost like a two-sided platform. You have yeah, yeah. brands that you're bringing in, uh, a little platform competition shout out there. Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a great question. So I'll address the truck side first. The truck side is really interesting because truck, so we don't go to the average guy who has like one to five trucks because, and despite that being 86% of truck carriers on the road today. Um, so it's like an incredibly terrible fragmented industry of people who actually operate the trucks. We went right to the truck leasing companies and the truck leasing companies own 40% of all trucks on the road. And they serve as our supply side aggregators as we try to scale the business. So when we get a campaign like, hey, we want Brooklyn, we go to the truck leasing company and say, hey, we got a campaign for Brooklyn. Can you call around to your end users or the actual lessees of the truck and see if they're willing to do this campaign? Um, we then send a financial payment to the actual truck leasing company, at which point they keep a percentage of it for themselves just as sound revenue. And they pass the rest of it through in the form of a reduction in the truck lease payment each month. And so the reason that's caught on so well is if you look at the big truck leasing companies, it's a, it's a commoditized market. Like they're all competing on price. So anything that gives them a price competition is pretty valuable to them. And then on the flip side of that, their monthly margin on a truck that they're leasing out is pretty thin. So that little percent that they're taking off the top ends up doubling what they're taking home on that asset per month. So it's a very lucrative uh, relationship with the trucking industry. And I think that that way we've approached it in terms of aggregating supply is a way most haven't really thought about it. And then on, so that sort of like covers the trucking side. The other side of the marketplace is the ad sales effort. Um, I'd say there's a bifurcated approach that we've taken. It's clear there's value to the direct to consumer companies. And I think that that's where our roots will always sort of lie. But there's also a ton of value in going after the big ad agencies of the world because those are the folks that, similar to the truck leasing company that's aggregating supply, they're aggregating demands because they're representing so many different clients. Um, to date, we've brought on two sales hires that focus mostly in the agency space. I say our executive team does a lot of the D2C stuff. And we just hired a chief revenue officer and are interviewing for two more sales hires. So I would, get, I would say based on her org chart, you can see where the more difficult part of the business lies, at, at least at this juncture. Um, it's really about getting those clients and, and keeping them. And like I said earlier, it's, we're off to a good start. That 100% renewal rate is something we're really proud of. And I think it comes from data transparency and, and um, just being able to speak the language of growth marketers that are just thinking about out of home for the first time. Yeah, I, I, it's also nice, you know, as you were speaking, I, I, I kind of thought, you know, the trucking companies, um, 
they have to single home, right? I mean, once that ad is on the side of that truck, it's not like they can, you know, put a whole, they can't put like other ads on the truck, right? Like it has to take up that entire space. So right. that's definitely a benefit as well as that kind of supply side aggregation, um, you know, concept that you talked about. I think that's another benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And so I would love to kind of talk about, um, I guess the roadmap for you guys, you know, what markets are you in right now? If I'm walking around Chicago, will I see some of your ads yeah. zipping about and uh, what's, what's in the future? Do you think? Yeah, great question. So we launched in New York City um, beginning of 2021. We're now, I, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but I think about nine markets. So we are in, let's see, we'll do it right now. Boston, New York, Miami, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Got it. Recently, I can't say the name of the company. It's a big one though. Just signed a big contract in Chicago. And then we have a few tertiary markets because, and this is actually an interesting sort of value prop too. Um, we're in Wichita, Kansas, Lubbock, Texas, Charleston, West Virginia, and Birmingham, Alabama. And that contract was actually because um, an agency was like, hey, there's a bunch of college towns here, schools starting, and we, we are a telephone, a telecom company that wants them to switch to our plan. And there's no billboard. Like there's nothing that we can advertise on, even if we wanted to. Can you guys get us in there? And we're able to, on, on very short notice, um, find some trucking companies that were overjoyed to be having, you know, a, a couple hundred dollars per month to, to advertise on their behalf. So another little value prop is like going, going where other out of home hasn't really been able to go before. Yeah. How do you think about that strategically? I mean, maybe you can't divulge all the, you know, all the yeah, secrets, yeah, yeah, but, uh, but you do have, it seems like this dual, you know, two pronged opportunity. There's these tertiary markets where you're going to be facing probably less competition for eyeballs. Um, fact of the matter is, you know, there's no mag mile, there's no, um, digital storefronts that they can sort of, you know, that are going to be taking up eye space, not as many billboards, as you mentioned, there's a ton of tertiary markets. There's a ton of college towns. How are you right. thinking about weighing the opportunities of, you know, the big, big markets and the tertiary markets? Yeah, I think it's going to be reactionary to a large degree. I mean, the so I'll, I'll take it a little different angle. The strategic element that I think comes in here is the inventory matters more than anything else. And what I mean by that is, this technology sounds cool and crazy, but it's going to be competed away. And there, it's, it's nothing that I think anyone can sort of throw a patent on, for example. So like, cool, use it for three to five years, get yourself off the ground. But when, when everything else is competed away, what holds value? And it's the inventory. And that's why I think our approach has been lock up the, or create these relationships with these large leasing companies in each market, like our New York one, for example, a 1600 last mile truck. Um, get those relationships exclusive and then you sort of control the inventory and you hold the value on the like local like hyper local component i think the strategic element there is really you can just command a higher cpm relative to you know where there is a greater supply of out of home um, when you're in new york city and you got street furniture and billboards everywhere you know maybe that cpm's one number but People always say, listen, if you can get us into Austin, Texas, which is like on fire and there's no billboards and like the government's not letting us put up more billboards, like to write your, write your own ticket. And so that's something that to your point, I think we're going to have to be re reactionary and sort of 
see which one sort of is more uh, beneficial for us. I think that's such an interesting point too about, you know, the technology will kind of be commodified in the future, but in the end of the day, it's about the inventory, it's about the data, it's about the distribution. And it seems like that right now is kind of your guys' advantage or what you're trying to work towards in terms of an advantage. Um, I would love to touch on, you know, your your financing needs or status in the future. Um, you know, if people are interested in that aspect of it, you know, what's that sort of look like for you guys in the future? Yeah, great question. So we're currently about to start a, a fundraising push. Um, we are raising a million dollars on eight million dollar cap safe, the twenty percent discount. Um, about five hundred k of that has already been committed, so we're pretty far along. I think it'll probably close by November first, um, and then it will probably end up raising pretty much the use of funds there. I guess to, to speak to it a bit more is to stand up a sales organization, like I sort of touched on earlier, um, some working capital needs, stuff like that, and then probably end up raising, ideally at a, a greater valuation once we have some more revenue in the door, um, about a year from that is how we're thinking about it. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. Um, you know, Tom, I'd love to touch on, I had a conversation yesterday with um, a really bright guy who is sort of looking at his career. He knows he wants to get into entrepreneurship one day. He's kind of just getting real world kind of corporate experience. Um, But he knows he wants to start a business in a few years. And, you know, he asked me as, you know, going through business school, he said, do you think... The Chicago capital guy. The Chicago capital guy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but he asked if he should go to business school. Um, you know, he knows he wants to start this company. It's a goal of his. And basically, he'd be sort of using business school in that sense. Um, what would be your advice for other people who are kind of early, mid-20s, looking at maybe business school, looking at maybe just saying, go and start my business without business school? Um, right. Any thoughts? Yeah, I'm really biased in favor of it. I think compared to like what you can do with business school, you know, they say there's these three things career switching, career advancing, more entrepreneurship. I mean, the one that I think is provides the most clear value or business school provides the most clear value to is if you're trying to start a company because I got to, I was working full time. This was like a night school thing and this was always a side project. And I got to marry my side project with all of my coursework when I was at the University of Chicago. Um, so I had a great fortune of like every time there's a group project, which is every class and they're like, okay, make up a company and now we're doing entrepreneurial selling and you're going to cold call 600 people throughout this class. You know, we were doing it for, for Agile and it allowed us to, you know, low stakes environment, validate a lot of the assumptions, get in front of a lot of really smart people, get a lot of input from people who are brilliant, like all of my classmates. Like, I, I cannot thank those people enough. And then, you know, the access to the alumni networks, the venture capital network, um, you know, they're looking at these, institutions as feeders as deal flow so you know they're essentially waiting in the wings for for something to come out so you sort of get right in front of them um if you emerge with something that you think uh you can you can build so that i I could not endorse it more i can't speak to its value as a career switcher or a career advancer but I'm, i'm sure other people can I, I can confidently speak to its value as a career switcher it is there you go i just got a new job I, I always look at, you know, we'd be in these classes, entrepreneurial selling, great example. The, the, the people that were able to pair their classes with their startups, I'm like, you, got, you guys are getting a steal from this business that's, school education. Like, it's yeah, an expensive place, no doubt. But 100%. That's, if you tried to salary those people for a quarter at a time, you know, you'd, you'd, be, 
you know, you're getting free, like hundreds of thousands in free help. And we also like linked up with UChicago law when we were trying to figure out if this was legal or like, you know, roadside distraction implications. And they, they went through every single state in the country and told us what the ordinances were and how they apply to our business. Like, that's insane. You'd have to pay so much money for that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. No, I, I completely agree. Um, well, Tom, thanks so much for hopping on Chicago Capital. This has been an absolute blast. If people want to follow your story, if prospective customers are interested, if prospective investors are interested, where can all of these people find you, find the company, learn more? Yeah, um, our website, www.adgile.co, A-D-G-I-L-E dot C-O. The damn domain name was too expensive, guys. I apologize. Um, and you could also email me at tche at agile.co. Um, would, would love for some people to reach out. We have a really fun sort of quarterly family and friends newsletter where we highlight recent wins, some, some campaigns that we've spun up and, and stuff like that. So happy to add whoever's interested to that list and keep track of uh, how we're doing. And hopefully, hopefully you'll just read about us. Hopefully things go so well that, uh, you know, you're just on crunch base or something and uh, we pop up. Can't wait to have you on again in a year's time, the year after that for the new updates to let us know how things are going. And uh, as you raise your future rounds, Tom, it's been awesome. Thank you so much. Can't wait to do this again. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Take care.